Welcome to the latest episode of the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast. My name is Brad Cooper and I'll be your host. And today's episode's about a topic that probably matters a lot to you and your clients. It's all about money. Our guest is Rachel Cruz. As the number one New York Times bestselling author, host of The Rachel Cruz Show and The Rachel Cruz Show Podcast, Rachel helps people learn the proper ways to handle money and stay out of debt. She's authored three best-selling books, including Love Your Life, Not Theirs, and Smart Money, Smart Kids, which she co-wrote with her father, a name you probably will recognize, Dave Ramsey. You can follow Cruz on Twitter and Instagram at Rachel Cruz, that's R-A-C-H-E-L-C-R-U-Z-E, and online at rachelcruz.com, youtube.com slash rachelcruz, or facebook.com slash rachelramseycruz. So a lot of options on how to follow up on some of the resources that she'll mention. And I'll also mention a few of those and explain a couple of them during the closing of this podcast. If you have any other questions, feel free to always reach out to us at results at catalystcoachinginstitute.com. And obviously, there are quite a few other resources that supplement this discussion at catalystcoachinginstitute.com. One item I did want to make sure to highlight for you is the Rocky Mountain Coaching Retreat and Symposium that's coming up this fall. The early registration for that to save, speaking of money, a lot of money is just around the corner. So if you're thinking about that, if it's on your list, don't miss that deadline. I don't want you to end up saying, oh, no, I missed that chance. So keep that on your radar screen. You can find that under Retreat on the CatalystCoachingInstitute.com site. With that, grab your pens and paper. Get ready to take a lot of notes because this thing is packed. Rachel really brings it today for us. And I just know you're going to love this latest episode of the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast. Well, Rachel, very, very good to have you here. You and your dad, Dave Ramsey, have had such an incredible impact on our family, but also people across the country and frankly the world. Can you tell us a little bit about the basics? Why, why is it so common for us to lose control of our, what we like to call financial fitness when it's such a key part of all of our health and wellness? Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. I'm like, I feel like, well, number one, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, it's so interesting because I'm like, common sense these days, it's just not so common. Mm-hmm. And I think what's happened is we have complicated this part of our lives we tried to do shortcuts. We tried to, you know, um, create our own little systems. We think we're getting ahead by doing this and that. And what ends up happening is we end up in a tangled mess. Hmm. And the idea of going slow and steady, doing things that may not be flashy, may not be super exciting or really appealing, you know, to the, to the outside eye, but doing things over a long period of time, the smart things like saving up for an emergency fund, mm-hmm. investing into retirement, paying off debt, like all of these things, it, it's going to, it works, number one, we've been doing it for 20 plus years, so we know it works. Um, but I think we've just, as a culture, we've complicated it and we also have given in to our needs and our wants in an unhealthy way. Like we, if we want something, because of the avenue of debt, we can get it. Like we are an instant gratification culture. I mean, even my phone, like before we got on this interview, I'm like, I booked dinner reservations. I checked the weather for the city I'm traveling to tomorrow. Like (laughs) you can do things so quickly and we're so used to that. And that that really translates into how we handle our money in not a great way. And so I think all of that combined, we just lost this idea of common sense. And so we're about the business of 
helping people get back to that and win with their money. Excellent. And so powerful. So the question you've been asked probably more than any other your whole life, what's it like growing up the daughter of Dave Ramsey? Any, any <laughs> kind of fun stories you want to share about early lessons you learned maybe the hard way in your own life with this stuff? Yeah. Oh gosh. I mean, I think people just assume that in the Ramsey household, we were like obsessed <laughs> with money and like all we talked about was money and we had like mutual fund birthday parties, <laughs> budget camps every summer. And like everyone just like assumes all this and that was not the case. Mom and dad, I would say we're actually very normal in how we approached money and talked about it. I mean, normal in the sense that they were not like crazy extreme about it. But I guess it's kind of weird in the sense because some parents don't talk to their kids about money. But um, yeah, they just implemented again, back to kind of that common sense approach. Like they taught us, if you want money, you have to work. Money comes from work. Money what doesn't a concept. Come from, I know, it's shocking, isn't it? And so learning that from God, age five or six years old, you know, we were we were learning that, we were never going to give it. We were never going to be given an allowance. We were always on commission. So again, work <laughs> get paid. You don't work, you don't get paid. And we learned to give and save and spend in that order. We had three little envelopes growing up, and every time, every when we got paid weekly, we put that money and money in each of those envelopes. And mm. uh, you know, it, it was just kind of this ebb and flow of life. It was just a part of how we were raised. But. Um, I always laugh. I'm like the, I think probably the most extreme thing that happened. Uh, I was 15 and I had my own checking account. We got your, you know, you get your own checking account when you're 15 mm-hmm. in our family. And mom and dad would put a certain amount of money into our account every month that what they would normally spend on us. So whether that's insurance for a car you're going to buy at 16 or clothes or out with friends, school fees, like anything that they would spend money on for us in the month, they just gave us that amount at the first of the month. And so we were in charge of budgeting that out. We were in charge of handling that, keeping up with it. We were never allowed to ask them for money. And if we wanted more money, we had to go get a job and you know make more money. Anyways, I had my account for probably, oh gosh, three or four months. And I bounced three checks <laughs> out of that. Yeah. And dad actually made me go down to the bank and in person apologize to the executive bank branch manager. And I had to apologize and tell him that I I was sorry for lying because I told him I had money in his bank to spend and I didn't. And that was what dad told me. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It was terrible. So I went down, I did it. You know, we laugh about it because I think, yeah, when I told him all of this, he looked at me and he was like, did your dad tell you to come down here and say this? I cried. I was like, it's child abuse. Yes. Kid. Terrible. But he waived my overdraft fees. So that was, that was the perk of that thing. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So that was probably the most extreme thing, but you know what? I've never overdrafted since I have not overdrafted since. So I learned. Great story. I love it. I love it. Okay. So coming out to the general population now, what are some of the biggest and let's keep it with correctable mistakes that you repeatedly see people making when it comes to their finances? I think probably the biggest thing that plays into a lot of smaller mistakes is just the overarching principle that people are just not intentional with their money. Like they just let their money happen to them. Mm. And it's amazing in life. If you want things 
to be better than what they are, you work on them, right? Like if you're married and you want to work on your marriage, make a better marriage, you work at it. Mm-hmm. You read books, you, you do date nights, you go to counseling, like you work on it. If you want to be a better parent, you go and talk to people that have had kids that age before and like you get advice from them. Like, like you work, you spend time, you're intentional. And the same is true with your money. You have got to put the work in. You have to put the mental capacity in. You have to work on it and happen to your money. And when people are not intentional, I believe that's when they go into credit card debt because they don't have savings. Uh, They live paycheck to paycheck. And they kind of just float through this life, even though they may be stressed out and freaked out. Um, But the idea of sitting down and being intentional and planning out not only where your money's going with a budget, but also like what's your plans in the next five years? Like what are your goals? What do you want to do? And you're just doing it on purpose. And a lot of people, they don't. They just have their money control them. Very good. Very good. I'll mention your books in the closing so uh, people have access to those. But if a coach is working with a client that is just really struggling with their finances, and obviously a coach is not a certified financial planner, they're not trying to fill that role. But what would be a couple of initial steps a coach could help them, the, the client, incorporate to kind of start down that better path without feeling overwhelmed. Sure. Well, I think, you know, a great starting point that any coach can do even if you're not a financial planner is just the fifth grade math of a budget. Mm-hmm. Like a monthly budget just sitting down and looking at their budget and helping them create one if they haven't had one. I think that's like the best guided plan. And the good thing about a budget is it's pretty easy to do in a sense that again, it's your income minus all of your expenses equals zero. So you just sit there, you allot money. But the hard part is when they leave and they actually have to stick to the budget and living with that. So that's going to be the challenge on their end. But I think that that's one easy step anyone can do. Even if you know you have a friend or a family member like, and they're just, they feel out of control. It's amazing when you sit down and you plan out where every dollar's going. Um, gosh, that helps you. It just gives you this, this roadmap into what to do with your money day in and day out. So that's one thing. I always say bring in a third party if need be, like whether it's Financial Peace University or it's a book or it's one of our podcasts or, or the radio show. Like bring in that third voice because not only will there be new content and continuing to help them, but sometimes it's just good to hear from multiple people the same message. I, I tell this to married couples, if, if one spouse is like not on board and they don't mm-hmm. want to do it, but one spouse does. Yeah, yeah. My advice to them was like, bring in that third party because sometimes having that, that other voice gives them a little bit of this like eye-opening and, and new motivation than what maybe possibly you can. Beautiful. Beautiful. Very well said. Okay, so let's stay on the budgeting concept for a minute because a lot of people, just that word, they get this, ah, you know, freak out. <laughs> I, no, I can't do that. I've never done it. It's, it destroys my life. It's stressful. Is there any tips on how coaches, if they introduce that concept, can help their clients kind of get their arms and then keep their arms around that aspect? Yes. So there's going to be really two types of people. There's going to be what we classify as the nerds and the free spirit. (laughs) So like the nerds are going to be- And they usually get married. Yeah, it's right. That's right. That's right. Opposites attract. Yeah, there's usually both of those in a marriage. Um, And so with the nerds, when you're sitting down and you're mentioning the word budget, they're knee-jerk reaction is going to be like, okay, okay. You know, maybe they're intimidated on how to do it, but the idea of it, it's exciting. And it's like, yes, this is the answer. Oh, I can't wait. This feels good. I already feel in control because I've just said the word budget. Like they're going to be way more on board. The ones that you're going to have to really rope in are going to be more of the free spirits. Mm -hmm. And believe it or not, I'm actually a free spirit. My husband's more of the nerd in our relationship. Uh It's funny that I like teach about money, but that's really me. 
And the, and the free spirits are the ones that feel like, oh, like a budget, it's so constricted. Like you can't have any fun. I mean, I feel like every time I heard the word budget, it was like, yeah, we can't go out to eat. We're on a budget. Or we're not going on vacation this year because we're on a budget. I'm like, man, people on budgets are not fun people. Like if that is what <laughs> living with a budget, I'm like, no. So the free spirits there, they are harder to rope in and decide that this is going to be a lifestyle. But what I have learned over, especially my marriage, I've been married nine years and doing a budget month in and month out with my husband. And we're not perfect at it, but we really have. We've gotten in a habit of doing it. That as a free spirit, I have learned that a budget does not limit my freedom. A budget gives me freedom. Mm-hmm. Like it gives me permission to spend money and spend money on the things that, that, that we choose to spend money on. Like that's the great thing about the budget is you get to decide what do you want to do with your money? Right. Now there's wise, way, wise things to do, you know, and unwise things, but overall, like you get to decide and that's the beautiful thing. So sometimes the biggest hurdle is just the psychological idea of oh, a budget. Oh, the idea, it's, oh, it's scary. And it's really not. Like if you understand a budget is going to give me this control and it's going to be the roadmap to help me win. Okay, let's do it. And then they need to understand that they're going to mess up that especially the first few months of doing a budget, it is going to be messy. It's not going to be right. You're going to have to change things throughout the month. It may not work. Like you're going to have to take, get the kinks out because it's going to take a few months. So give yourself 90 days. Give yourself three months to get that budget to work. And that's the other part of what, of what uh, the coach can do is, is encourage them to keep going. Because some people give up the first month they do the budget and they're like, oh, it doesn't work. Never mind. I don't want to do this. But keep at it because once you start doing it, at uh, past 90 days, not only does it work, but it becomes a part of your life, which is the other great part is that it's it's a habit. Like it's just like, okay, that's what we do. So those are kind of like more of the the mental roadblocks that people have with a budget. Mm-hmm. But tactically speaking, again, a budget, a simple monthly budget is your income minus your expenses, which will include giving and saving is going to equal zero. So every dollar coming in is just assigned to a category. And we have a free budgeting app called Every Dollar. And it's wonderful. It makes it so easy to understand. It walks you through everything. It shows you and it's right there on your phone. It's convenient. Uh, It's easy to get to all of that. And so use every dollar on a tactical sense to help create the budget. And then again, it's going to be up to them to stick to it. But man, I've learned once, (laughs) once I've lived with this for so long since I have, I can't imagine without it. I really can't because I can still go shopping. We can go out to eat. We can do the things we want to do. But it just gives me this limit and this boundary. And there's more freedom in that because you can do those things without second guessing yourself. So good. Yeah, so good. So the, especially the 90 day piece of you're going to mess up and that's okay. Yes, totally. Yep. Love it. Love it. Okay. So one of the cornerstones of your work is the goal of becoming completely debt free. Talk us through why this is a central theme and kind of the, that power and energy that comes from getting to that point. Yeah, being debt free, that is um it's a it's a weird part of our message, if you will, because normal we always say is broke. Like right. normal is living paycheck to paycheck. And so what debt has done is we say debt is a thief. It not only steals your income from you, but it steals your peace of mind. It steals your sleep at night. Like it takes things from the quality of life you can have when you owe someone something. And the idea that when your income comes in and you get to decide what to do with it, it's an amazing feeling of not just freedom, but suddenly you have choices and you have options. 
And in Proverbs, it says that the borrower is slave to the lender. Mm. And I love that picture because it's so true. We are a society that has signed up for this and we carry you know, these, these, this burden around month in and month out and we're broke and we feel like we don't know what, we don't know why we can't fund retirement. Why can't we help our kids with college? Why can't we give? Like we can't do any of this because we have two car loans, credit card debt and our student loan. Like, and so the, the shift of saying, okay, what if you had no payments? Like what if your income came in and you didn't owe <laughs> Makes you smile just thinking about it. Yeah. Like what could you do? And I'm like, anything you want. Like, it's amazing. The power of your income. So your income is the largest, the largest wealth building tool that you have. And when your income can start working for you, then that's when things start to change. But you can't do that when you're living paycheck to paycheck. And so being debt free for me is not just a mathematical financial advantage, which it is, but there is an emotional spiritual side as well that you suddenly could look up in your job and be like, you know what? I, I have not enjoyed this for years and I really have had the dream to go do X, Y, and Z. And when you don't have payments and you have an emergency fund, you may get to take that leap. Like you, you're able to do things in your life that you didn't think were possible. And it's exciting. We, I see this as a, as a changing your, your family tree. I mean, it is a legacy type decision that you make. And it's incredible. I mean, when you are freed up financially, you get to do so many things. And a big part of our message too is to help people. Like when you don't have payments... You can help that single mom who needs right. to who needs a new car. Like you can, you get to give outrageously. So we always say you live like no one else because it's tough when you're getting out of debt. You're sacrificing your lifestyle. You're making choices that are going to look weird to your friends and family, but you're <laughs> doing some stuff. So you're going to live like no one else. But later, you get to live and give like no one else. Yeah, love that. Love that. I've I've heard. You and Dave share that for years and I, it just, it sticks and it's so accurate. Okay. So knowing this, what are some of the, and, and let's take major health things out of the equation here for a minute, because those are out of our control, but what are some of the self-imposed stumbling blocks that keep folks from achieving that? Because I guarantee you, every, almost every person listening to you just now smiled when they, when you got them thinking about what would it be like to be debt-free? Oh, it would be great, you know, but we generally speaking, we aren't. So what are some of those stumbling blocks that are within our control with this, that area? Yeah, I think one of them is just your, your attitude towards it. Like I talked to some people and I talked to this girl a few weeks ago after an event. And she was like, yeah, I kind of sort of think I might want to get out of debt maybe. Okay. <laughs> and, I, and I looked at her and I was like, yeah, you're not going to get out of debt. And she no. was like, what? And I was like, you're not mad enough. Like you have to get to a point where you are, you are sick and tired of being sick and tired. Like you are done sitting in traffic, dealing with a jerky boss, just to freaking pay MasterCard. Like, like you get to this point where you're like, I'm done. I'm done stressing. I'm done fighting with my spouse. I'm done not having money. I feel like I'm working so hard. I have nothing to show for it. Like when you get there and you get mad, that's when things start to change. But because you can wander your way into debt, but you cannot wander your way out. Like it takes some sacrifice and some diligence and you, you do, you have to get mad. So I'd say your attitude is one thing of like, you know what, we're going to do this. And then I, I believe kind of in the, the all in method, like you have to, to find the, um, the, the progression of, of getting out of debt, to be able to find the motivation, to be able to find the progress, you have to do the plan. And we teach people to pay off the debt smallest to largest, regardless of the interest rate, pay minimum payments on everything and pay off the smallest one 
first. And when you start down that journey, like we tell you, you sacrifice your your time, like you're getting an extra job, you're working overtime, you're sacrificing your lifestyle, you're not going out to eat, like you're eating beans and rice, rice and beans, like you are doing everything to limit and put as much money towards getting out of debt. Because I have found people that are willing to sacrifice, the deeper they're willing to sacrifice, the greater the result, the faster that they're going to get out of debt. And it's amazing. We have people call in on the radio show and come to the office and you know, you hear these people and you hear their numbers and they're not making, you know, tons of money. Like maybe it's 40, 50 grand and then they paid off like 75,000 in a year and a half. I mean, like you hear the numbers and you're like, what? How did you live like that? But they, they saw the short-term sacrifice was worth the long-term gain. And so that's all, that's the other part is the choices that you make to do it, that you have to decide, you know what, this is worth it. I'm mad enough that, that, that living like no one else and truly sacrificing and doing the plan it's going to be worth, it's going to be worth the outcome. And it is, it so is. Very nice. And I'll walk folks through your debt snowball during the, the closing here. So they get a sense of that. Cause that yeah, is a wonderful. not necessarily logical process, but very powerful process. So, so once someone's out of debt, what would be some initial investment recommendations you generally suggest? Again, neither one of us are financial planners, but just some general things for them to consider as they're looking at options out there. Once they get past that, that, I'm now out of debt phase. Yes. Yeah. Well, I would say the first quote unquote investment that you look at, it's not a true investment, but it's to, to build an emergency fund of three to six months of, of expenses. And so look at your monthly budget and say, okay, if something were to happen, if, we lost, if someone lost a job or if there was a medical expense, like what would keep us going for three or six, three to six months of our life that can stay the same, that can stay constant. And you save that up and you put this in a traditional savings account, a money market account. I mean, something that you can get to it quickly. We keep it liquid, if you will, which means you can just get to it fast. And you have to look at this as more like insurance than an investment because it's there for you. It's not going to be making money. But that's when that's the next step you would take after getting out of debt. And then start looking at true investments, which would be uh, like a Roth IRA. It's a great one. You could open up a Roth IRA, start investing for retirement, uh, if your job offers a 401k or a 403b, take that. And we say to invest 15% of your income into retirement. So those are two great options, uh, retirement vehicles that you can, you can get involved with. And they're just in standard mutual funds. But when it comes to that whole investment world, we do recommend people go check out one of our smart investors. And these are people that live and breathe the investment world. And this is what they do for a living to help set those funds up. Very good. All right. We're going to change gears here for a second. We love giving our listeners a chance to get to know you a little bit more personally. Is there something in your own health and wellness? This is a health and wellness podcast in your own journey that you're currently pursuing. Maybe you're struggling with it, but just kind of walk us through how you're approaching things in that area. Some of the insights you're gaining. It could be anything, sleep, stress, life balance, anything you'd like. Yes. I'm, I'm a mom. I have two little girls. I have a three and a half year old and an 18 month old. And wow. I'd like to say like going to the gym and everything, I, I'm, I'm in spurts. It's like sometimes consistent, sometimes not. I, I will be very honest with you. I am not in that plan right now. <laughs> uh, so, because what I found for me right now, like my the biggest thing I can do for myself to not only lower stress, but just get me truly in the right mindset for the day is I've started the habit of just getting up early. So I'll get up anywhere from 5am, 5.30, just to have time by myself. Mm. And for me, I'm like, oh, not having to, you know, getting 
waffles made or, you know, getting ready for work. Like all of that is like paused. And for me, one of my friends, she started doing this and she was like, Rachel, you have to. And so I started that habit a few years ago and it is, it's like, oh, it's the biggest gift I can give myself day in and day out. It's just amazing when you like mentally are prepared for the day, how much better off it is. And yeah, so that, that's my big thing right now that I'm, I'm clinging on to with two littles running around the house. <laughs> <laughs> well, well done. I love it. Love it. Last question. Any final suggestions, recommendations you give a coach who they, they want to assist their clients in thinking through how to improve their, their financial situation, but they're, they're just not sure the best route to go there. Any, any other suggestions, again, in addition to the resources that you provide that I'll mention in the closing? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, again, we, we package common sense really well. So we say around our place. So right. helping them understand those common sense approaches. But I would also just encourage you, like you may be one of the only voices of hope that they have in their lives. Hmm. Because when they talk to their friends or their brother-in-law or their parents, like more than likely all of those people in their lives are not doing it right and they're stressed out and they, you know, you may hear the words, oh yeah, you can just never get ahead financially anymore in this country or like the little man just can't get ahead or this is how it always is. This is the American dream. Just get used to it. I mean, there's a lot of cynical people out there and really believe that they can't win with money. And a lot of those people are probably in your client's life. And so I would say you might be the only voice of not just reason, but hope. Mm. And your client possibly is very hopeless. That's where we intersect a lot of people's lives. They just, they've lost hope. And you get to not only tactically walk them through a plan to help them with the baby steps, you know, take that information and use it, use it, use it. Um, But also just being that voice of encouragement and saying that you can do this. Like, yeah, it's going to be hard at times, but it is possible you can do this. And you may be the only voice in their life that's saying that to them. Rachel, so good. Thank you so much. I know your schedule is psychotically crazy and I didn't even know about the youngsters you had running around your ankles all day. So great job. Great information. Thanks for sneaking us in and really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for having me on. I I really do appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. A lot to unpack here. Uh, Let me just start off by, again, thanking Rachel. She did such a great job. And that statement she made toward the end where she said, you may be the only voice of hope in your client's life. She was talking about the financial piece, but you and I know that applies to everything we do. That's what's so exciting about being a health and wellness coach is you are that voice of hope. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. She mentioned the baby steps, and I I thought instead of us spending time in the Q&A going through that, I would cover that with you here. If you're not familiar with Dave Ramsey or the Financial Peace University aspects, these are the seven steps that they consistently utilize, and it's very important in their mind that you stay in order, that you follow these in this order. So you can Google this. You can get this through their books. And by the way, speaking of books, I've mentioned in the past, we've got a library of resources on the Catalyst Coaching Institute site. If you just go to catalystcoachinginstitute.com and you go under resources, you can see the library we've got there because we get all the time. People are are asking us, well, what book should I read? Where should I start? And so we've got a, a compilation. And Dave Ramsey's book is one of the ones that we selected long before we knew we'd have this interview. So powerful tool. But let me just walk you through these seven steps. If you're called the baby steps, again, critical that they're in order as far as how they teach it. Number one, $1,000 in your emergency fund. Get that built up first. Number two, start the debt snowball. I'll talk you through that a little bit in a moment. Number three, 
three to six months of expenses in savings. That's your emergency fund. That's if something comes up, you've got it available. Number four, invest 15% of your income in a Roth IRA and or pre-tax retirement fund. Number five, if applicable, college funding for your kids. Number six, pay off your home early. And number seven, build wealth and give. And again, they are very consistent. It's critical to go in that order. Let's talk briefly through this debt snowball concept. We, it, it came up briefly in the interview, but I didn't want to invest too much time in talking through that process, but it's a very valuable process. The debt snowball, when I first heard it, it's not logical, but they'll make the point that you didn't get into debt because of logic and logic is not going to get you out. And so the way the debt snowball works is you line up all of your debts from smallest to largest. This could be anything from a a department store credit card to gas card to your home mortgage. And you lay all those out, smallest to largest, and you start attacking that smallest one with everything you got. So you don't worry about what's your interest rate. You don't worry about all these other components. You say, what's our smallest one? And you get after that and you pour every ounce of energy and money into knocking out that lowest one, that smallest one. And then it's gone. And then you move on to the next one and the next one and the next one. And part of this, you can picture the snowball as you roll it. It starts to build on itself and you get that momentum and you see success and you see, okay, I just, I just knocked out this little one. Now the next one, now the next one. And it builds on itself. So very powerful process. Again, not necessarily logical. You're not looking at interest rates on these things, but very, very powerful tool that has worked for so many thousands, hundreds of thousands of people worldwide. So a lot to unpack. But you have great resources. Rachel mentioned several. I mentioned the book, Financial Peace University. Many of you have access to that. Take advantage of that. Encourage your clients to to look into that as another option in terms of how they can address their financial fitness. If you have questions about wellness coaching, maybe you heard this podcast randomly because of the topic and you're thinking, wellness coaching? Like that's a job? Like I can actually do that and make money? Yes, you can. It's growing leaps and bounds right now. It's, a, it's an outstanding industry. If you have questions about that, how to get started, what does it look like, would I do this for a company or on my own or in, any of those kinds of things, you can reach out to us. Happy to chat about it. It's results at catalystcoachinginstitute.com is the email address. The website has a, quite a few resources. It's catalystcoachinginstitute.com, obviously. If you're an experienced coach and you just want some help, some guidance, some next steps. Happy to chat with you as well. Same email, same, same website to get started. Folks, please keep in mind, and I say this every time, but I'm going to keep saying it. Got to remember the path to our best self begins with our better self. Let's help our clients and let's remember for our own lives to work towards that better than yesterday. And that's the path we want to stay on. Thanks for joining us. And I hope it's something that you find to be a valuable part of your life. Make it a great rest of your day. And I'll look forward to chat with you next time on the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast.